I feel like the uh, the coach's box outburst is a is a integral part of the D three game day experience. It's right there with railroad tracks and stands on just one side of the stadium. I think the other thing too is that it's a real big part of the uh, listening to a broadcast at home experience. There aren't as many press boxes like this anymore, but I've certainly worked in a lot of press boxes where you as a radio guy are sitting right next to the coach's box and sometimes there's not a door and sometimes there's not much of a partition and you basically are cross-talking all the time. So I would have to warn the studio just to have the the seven second thing on and uh, and drop it every once in a while. Yeah, or when you get uh, you're listening to one broadcast and you can hear the away or home broadcast depending <laughs> on which one you've chosen yes. on the same broadcast. Yes quintessential d3 experience also oftentimes in fact you're listening to the inferior broadcast and you can hear the other broadcast uh, the other broadcaster saying something and then you hear the the inferior broadcaster that you're listening to say the exact same thing like a second and a half later Uh, yes or this happens a lot when you're at a you're listening to the home team's broadcast the away team makes a play a tackle or whatever and you can hear the away broadcast identify the player and then <laughs> yeah uh and then the home team broadcast jumps in like they like they had that and they knew that that guy's name wasn't number 24 <laughs> well i think yeah exactly i think this is exactly how it happens is you are watching the home team broadcast because it's the video right um, but it's the uh, away team's broadcast that has the audio and yeah. probably has a better broadcaster. And somehow, in that combination between those two pieces and the public address, you can get a really good picture of a game, even if there's no broadcast, uh, not no broadcast, or even if there's uh, poor broadcasting going on. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, I didn't see the. I didn't see this broadcast. I watched zero minutes of Mount Union John Carroll, but apparently uh, Anthony Meglin was in the booth. I read that and John yeah. Carroll. That's really interesting. I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen that. At least not a. I've seen former players who stopped playing, but like guys who were super way down on the chart and just right. stopped playing football and went to academics and then got into the student broadcast part of it. I've seen that before, but never like a guy who's been to the semifinals as coming back as a current student to call games. That's, that's kind of cool. I might, I don't know if they have that archived or whatever, but I might go back and listen to a little bit of that just to see how good he is. Yeah. Who knew Anthony Meglin would be the D three Tony Romo football fans. It's now time for the D three football.com around the nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly show about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 246, the one with all the unbeatens. It's the podcast episode for September 30th of 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com, and we are joined by a guest host this week. The guest host is Greg Thomas. I'm sitting in for Keith McMillan, who is on assignment again this week. You might find me elsewhere on the site doing quick hits and later on in the season with some uh, some bracketology stuff, uh, it's good to be good to be in the uh, the, the co pilot seat this week for two forty six. Well, we appreciate that, um, and I especially appreciate that now we basically have a full fledged West Coast correspondent. So thank you for moving to California. Wish they that really helps. Appreciate it. I did that um, with the express intent of having West Coast representation for the site. Well, that's certainly very helpful. Uh, we are through four weeks of this season. We were talking about this week being a week where we needed to have a game come out of the woodwork. We had one that definitely came out of the woodwork and provided us some uh, pretty th- thrilling results under the lights. And, of course, we're also at this time of the year where we have so many unbeaten teams that do not fit in the top 25, couldn't possibly fit in the top 25, just mathematically impossible. People are asking, though, about... Cortland, they're asking about Bridgewater, they're asking about Westminster, Pennsylvania, they're asking about Westminster, Pennsylvania, also like Case and 
Carnegie Mellon and Marietta. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of those schools coming up in a little bit. We're going to talk about, of course, the big upset win by UW-Eau Claire over St. Thomas. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of the other thrilling finishes in the top 25, including Ithaca against St. John Fisher and Bethel against Gustavus. But before we can talk about any of that, we have to talk about our friends and our sponsors at Gotta Have It. Gotta Have It Fanfoams.com is where you go to find these, these uh, wall foam items that uh, have you know this kind of three-dimensionality to them. I have one of them on my wall right now, which is uh, of a purple power. I have one that uh, I sent a, a photo of a couple of them over to you, uh, Greg, because I know you do not have any of these. Uh, Keith has the, the rest of the collection, but uh, I'd have to think that uh, you guys as uh, Wabash alums would want to get some of these for yourselves. Uh, yeah, these, these 3D foam representations of logos uh, would look great in a, a Wally fan foam would look fantastic and I can see that adorning tailgates and office walls all over the all over the country uh, as Wabash Wabash fans are want to uh, display their their team pride all over the place and as often as possible I don't think your logo's changing anytime soon right it's been uh, it's been what it has been for as long as I can remember yes they've done they've done some updating with some of the branding, but the like the mascot logo, the Wally is is solid. I don't think he's changing anytime anytime soon. So you can see these, uh, like I said, in uh, dorm rooms across America, man caves, game rooms, offices, dens. It does say dens on the Gotta Have It Fanfoams.com website. I was giving myself a hard time for using that word a few weeks ago, but. It's, uh, it's for real. I don't know if you know any Purdue fans. Uh, that's on there, too. I'd like to mention that uh, the, uh, the Division I service academies have these as well. Uh, you can find out more information or get on the mailing list. Or, you know, if you are a athletic director or uh, a coach who, you know, has an eye for marketing or sports information director or marketing person for a Division Three school, go to gottahabitfanfoams.com. You can find out all the information about uh, the organization, how it's made, uh, the you know how you can use these as fundraisers, all sorts of things at gottahabitfanfoams.com. So Saturday night, we have this uh, weekend where we've had you know a couple of close games, uh, and a couple of games that come down to two point conversions or interceptions. And you have to know, kind of right in the back of your head, that uh, you know the the even the worst team or the bottom half or the bottom third or whatever of the WIAC has to be capable of playing with just about anybody in Division Three because they have shown that year in and year out, and they showed it in a really big way on Saturday night, Greg. They did. Uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire, they came out really quickly against St. Thomas. They scored twice. They had a couple of big plays in the first 90 seconds of the game, really. They had a big kickoff return, scored immediately after that. They turn St. Thomas over on the first uh, possession. They score right after that. St. Thomas is down 14-0, to 90 seconds into the game. And then Eau Claire really just held on for dear life for the, for the rest of the game and outlasted St. Thomas uh, to get the 21-19 upset. Yeah, there's like a there's like a fumble on a kickoff or a fumble basically right away on like the first uh, couple plays of the game, and then uh, you know so sets up Eau Claire with really good field position, and then they uh, you know they break out uh, 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 so they drives of 19 yards and 34 yards, and then later a touchdown run of 77 yards on the first play from scrimmage on a drive in the second quarter, and yeah, hang on is basically what they did because. Yeah, they had a total of five first downs on the evening. Uh, they were, I mean, you know, at that point, yeah, one of 13 on third down is about as good as you can get. St. Thomas was like, you know, driving and uh, just making mistakes, driving and turning the ball over, driving and missing field goals, or then driving and, you know, getting hit hard by the UWL Claire defense because that was one thing that was really working for the Blue Golds on Saturday night is they were coming up with the big plays when they needed them. And, and they had to because, like you said, St. Thomas was driving, driving, driving. They did turn the ball over four times in the first half. I mean, St. Thomas just kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. Some of it self-inflicted. Some of it blue-gold defense 
Um, but I mean, some of the some of the statistics in this game are wild, Pat. And one of them that stands out to me, aside from the five, count them on one hand, five first downs that Eau Claire had for the entire game. St. Thomas ran 103 plays to Eau Claire's 50 plays, and I don't know. Never mind another game against Eau Claire and how if they could ever duplicate this result again. I don't know how many teams in the division can give St. Thomas a plus 53 play advantage and win. Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah. At one point, uh, Tommy Dolan, the St. Thomas quarterback was 19 of 49. Then on the final drive, he completes seven out of 11. He actually gets uh, Gabe Green to come down with a, a jump ball in traffic at the goal line, a 30 yard touchdown with seven seconds left. And down by two, that brought up the two-point conversion attempt. And here's what that sounded like on the live stream from UWO Claire Athletics. Will the Blue Balls hold on here? Will the Blue Balls get the upset victory? And it's an incomplete pass, and the Blue Balls are going to seal it. Coach Bashaner trying to hold his guys back on the sideline to keep a penalty from occurring. The coach is trying to settle down the sideline, but the Blue Gold defense holding on 21 to 19, and that is just about gonna do it. The Blue Golds are gonna come away with an incredible upset over the University of St. Thomas Tommies, the number six ranked Tommies. Greg, Carson Park is just like a great place to watch a Division Three football game, especially when people come out for it. It's this, you know, kind of old, uh, older style stadium. It's a city stadium. And I know Eau Claire is trying to build something on campus, but I really like the setting. And of course, they also have a gigantic marching band. So there's like, you know, another 150 people and all of their friends and relations, as it were, at the ball game. When Eau Claire is good or when Eau Claire has people and has locals in the stands, it is actually a tough place for someone to come in and play. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's common throughout the WIAC. They all have um, relatively speaking, most of them have larger venues than you see elsewhere in Division three. I've been to uh, Perkins Stadium in Whitewater a couple of times, and that's a pretty that's a pretty imposing place uh, to play as well. Uh, but, you know, like you say, when you go play any of these teams from the WIAC, if you don't go there with your good game, they can beat you. Um, every single one of them, even all the way down to Eau Claire, who was a team that was picked to finish near the bottom of the conference, you don't play your best game and they can beat you. And that's why the WIAC is always – ranked at the top of the of the conference rankings list that uh, that d3football.com puts out indeed we're going to talk more about this game coming up in a little bit we're going to talk about uh, some of the standout performances on the defensive side that uh, led to tommy dolan completing just 26 of 60 passes uh, i have to say though you know if you are um you know, if you're uh, watching the MIAC closely, watch. I will watch this guy closely over the course of the next couple of weeks. They have, uh, you know, Concordia Moorhead coming up. But, uh, you know, interesting in that I will be eager to see how he does against other defenses because they just kind of th uh, had pressure on him the whole time and he was overthrowing receivers and missing receivers kind of left and right. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that is you know, Tommy Dolan as a relatively new starting quarterback or Tommy Dolan facing a, a, a WIAC defense that's coming at him. Yeah, they don't, you know, St. Thomas doesn't have a lot of time to figure that out. Like you said, they've got Concordia Moorhead coming up next week. Concordia Moorhead went to overtime with lacrosse. You know, Concordia Moorhead is always never, I mean, they're never really an easy team to beat. They, you know, they grind you down pretty well. And then a couple of weeks after that, uh, they've got the big one at Allianz. That one in the uh, Johnny Tommy game. I have to make sure I get those in the right order. Another game that was big on a Saturday and was the lead story for most of the day was uh, Ithaca and St. John Fisher, a game in which uh, Ithaca jumped out to a pretty big lead and kind of looked like the Ithaca-St. John Fisher games of the past 10 years or so. Ithaca was uh, leading 28-3 to uh, you know, just over 20 minutes into the game. And then St. John Fisher kind of... You know, I don't know. They remember remember that they're three and zero. Do they remember that this was a a huge rivalry back in the aughts, the last decade? I don't know. Basically, 
Uh, they get back. Uh, they get right back into the game. It's a, a three-point game with 12 minutes or so left to go, and then it never changes. I guess you know basically. Well, first off, here's the uh, deciding play of the game here on uh, WICB. Walsh gonna throw it deep near side, but it's heading back and intercepted by Kyrie. What an incredible play there, and that one looks like it's gonna ice it. Taken away by Kyrie Brown, his second pick of the season. And what was Walsh throwing to? Right, so when I'm watching the score on this game Saturday morning, I'm, I'm seeing Ithaca jumping out to this huge lead, and it's 38-10 to 10 at halftime. And I've kind of written that game off uh, as Germanario and Gladney have kind of gone crazy on St. John Fisher. And I've sort of accepted the fact that Ithaca looks like a Liberty League favorite then the second half turns around. This game gets very close. St. John Fisher is making big plays, and they get back into it, uh, dissolving all but three points of that 28-point lead with plenty of time left in the fourth quarter. And, you know, now I think Ithaca is still probably a favorite in the Liberty League, but, you know, with a defense that can give up the big play as St. John Fisher exposed a little bit on Saturday, uh, Liberty looks, looks open. Yeah, it and even more open than it than it did, right? Obviously, this being a a non conference game, it doesn't have a, any impact on the standings, but that's definitely the question. And then two, you know, uh, it's like four touchdown passes from Joe Germanario in that twenty eight to three, you know, leap out to the lead, and you know he finishes the day twenty seven of forty one. He gets picked off a couple of times, um, but you know I didn't watch a bunch of the game. I watched when it you know got late and close. Um, probably a couple of possessions before that interception. I tune in and I watch uh, Joe Germanario um, kind of throwing off his back foot, throwing across his body and, and getting picked off as people do when they, when they make those kind of, uh, or when they try to make those kind of plays. Um, you know, it's the question of uh, this is, you know, down the stretch at Brockport with Germanario, there were some of those things too. And I just kind of wonder if, uh, you know, I just kind of wonder where this is going to go. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it's also one of those things where a team gets out to a really big lead. They think they've got it. It's comfortable. It's in the bag. And they kind of toss out the anchor and then the other guys don't slow up and they catch up and it's hard to flip the switch back on. And maybe I think I found a little bit of that on Saturday as well. 572 yards of total offense for St. John Fisher, Hunter Walsh, 30 of 47 passing for 480 yards, two scores and the one touchdown, which you heard there. Michael Anderson with a huge day on the receiving end for Ithaca, 12 catches for 198 yards and the one touchdown. Will Gladney with the other three touchdowns through the air, five catches for 136 yards. Again, you know, all of the Liberty League games uh, still in front of them for Ithaca. And for that matter, all of the uh, Empire Eight games, uh, you know, for St. John Fisher, a, a program that, uh, you know, is still kind of getting off the mat. This is Almost as big, I would think, for St. John Fisher confidence as winning those first three games. Yes, and I think like the Liberty League, the Empire 8 has sort of opened itself up to a three or four team race. I think Brockport is not clearly the best team that maybe we thought they were. And, you know, you have St. John Fisher, who has obviously shown themselves pretty well so far this season. Cortland, who we may talk about a little bit later. Uh, Brockport's in there and Alfred all look like solid teams. Uh, Empire 8 should be fun to watch as they get into league play next week. And they'll dive right in with St. John Fisher and Brockport under the lights on a Saturday night coming up in week five. The other big game that uh, I we were tracking to keep an eye on was Bethel against Gustavus. And that is a game in which, well, Bethel uh, won at the end by two points at uh, Bethel with the uh, final score of 35 to 33, but in a really wild fourth quarter in a game that was 14, 14 going into the fourth, uh, each team scores three touchdowns in that fourth quarter. And it comes all the way down to this two point conversion attempt with 17 seconds to go. Here's what it sounds like on Gustavus.edu. This is for two point conversion and a tie. Feldman talking to his line. And motion across, panning over here to the wide side. Snap, looking, pump, throw, back in the end zone, incomplete. He threw it in between a couple of players. He missed it. 
Yep, that's about right. That's how it happened. Uh, either just missed open receivers or receivers broke off their routes. Either way, thrown kind of just out the back of the end zone, and uh, Gustavus uh, was not able to recover the onside kick, and, and Bethel holds on in that game as well. Just kind of a, a wild game all the way around. Yeah, and it feels like there's always one of these Mayak teams that gets really close to beating one of the top three or four teams, and then they don't quite get there. And it might be Gustavus has been that team a few times over the years. Maybe it's their turn again. Um, but they, you know, like you said, it was a wild fourth quarter. Uh, Gustavus had an opportunity at the end to tie. I don't know who the overtime would have favored there. It was really, really uh, evenly played and back and forth fourth quarter. But, you know, uh, Gustavus is going to have some more chances against uh, some good teams and maybe they can finally get that breakthrough win. Bethel, I saw early on, I saw their game against Simpson. They're looking really good. What they have is just a whole bunch of size. Uh, they have uh, a big tight end. Jaron Rossi, the quarterback, is like 6'4", 240, and can run you know, pretty well for a guy of that size. He's a guy who uh, tried to start his career by walking on at the University of Minnesota, and that did not work out for him. But um, you know, he's looked really good in a, in a Bethel uniform. They're really big up front defensively. Uh, and that's going to, you know, uh, if they I looked at them and I was thinking last night about the Eau Claire defensive line and the Bethel defensive line and Bethel is going to give or at least capable of giving St. Thomas just as much fits as Eau Claire did. Yeah. And, and I think with Bethel, the thing historically that we've looked at is Bethel will rise up and have a really good year like they did last year. They went uh, into the playoffs. They won a game at North Central which is a really fine win uh, for that program. But then they fall off for a couple of years. Uh, and this year they have, they have Jaron Rosti, who is, uh, you know, a fantastic division three player, fantastic player period. But um, certainly his size at that position is rare in division three. Um, you know, Bethel's off to an undefeated start. They're ranked in the top 10 and, you know, they've got, they've got a good chance to, to, do some do some things in the Mayak as well, and like you said, they they match up well seemingly with St. Thomas based on what we saw this week. So you know maybe it's Bethel's year to uh, to string back string together back to back really good seasons. That's the game that ends the regular season for those two teams. Bethel it will be at St. Thomas in Week Eleven on November sixteenth. So yes, Bethel undebe- undebeated, undebeaten. We've said that, and we're just going to keep that in. That's not even count as making up a word anymore because I've used that word multiple times, quote-unquote word. Uh, they're unbeaten. They're in the top ten. bunch of teams unbeaten and ranked, obviously. There are a whole bunch of teams that are unbeaten and not ranked, however, and uh, we want to talk about some of those here in this part of the podcast. Uh, as I go back just to the MIC standings for a moment, uh, kind of start right at the top here through two games with St. Olaf, which is four and zero overall, two and zero in the conference. Uh, non-conference wins against Crown and Luther, and the conference wins against Carlton and Augsburg. Yeah, these are all kind of teams at the bottom end of their conferences, including Carlton and Augsburg in the bottom end of the MIAC, and then they have Hamlin, and then. You know, like uh, Gustavus's schedule was a few years ago, the St. Olaf schedule is just super back uh, backlit, is super backloaded. Bethel, St. John, St. Thomas, Concordia, and Gustavus to end the season. Uh, this is one of those teams that uh, is probably going to peak in terms of one loss record uh, in the next seven days. Another 4-0 team here in the early going is Ohio Wesleyan, battling Bishops 4-0 and 3-0 in the North Coast Athletic Conference. Ohio Wesleyan has won against three winless teams and Kenyon, who is 2-2. Two and two. Uh, so level of competition, not great for Ohio Wesleyan so far. We're going to find out about Ohio Wesleyan and whether uh, their 4-0 start is real this week when they go to Wabash. And after that, they have a bye week and host DePauw. Uh, out of the new Mac, a couple of unbeaten teams in uh, Norwich, which is 4-0 and 1-0 in the conference. And so is WPI. WPI probably has the better non-conference win of the two uh, with their win at RPI. Uh, but these two teams in the same conference, they're going to play each other uh, down in week 11. Maybe an undefeated game for a conference championship. Who knows? If so, that would be huge for Norwich because Norwich has uh, been in a position where they haven't been uh, very competitive in quite some time. Even in the ECFC, 
where they went uh, the year that they went six and one in the ECFC. They finished six and five overall and lost to Albright 49 to nothing in the first round. Another unbeaten, this one out of the Empire 8. We talked about uh, conference play starting up for these guys soon, uh, coming up this week, and that is Cortland. Cortland with a uh, 3-0 and start. Uh, Cortland is a team that uh, is one of those teams that uh, annually will we will look at and we'll ask about for preseason top 25 information. Cortland, in this instance, said, you know, maybe um, maybe we've lost too much to be considered. Right now, they're like on the doorstep of the top 25, but no conference games have been played so far. So there's a, a long, long way to go. Mount St. Joseph, 3-0, and 1-0 in the HCAC and uh, not getting a lot of uh, top 25 love at the moment. No, they are not. MSJ, they took care of Franklin uh, this weekend. The runway looks pretty clear for them to be unbeaten going into uh, probably their last two really tough league games against Rose Holman and Hanover. Those games are sandwiched around Halloween. Normally beating Franklin by the score of 50 to 27 would get just about anybody some top 25 love. But uh, Franklin right now is just one and three. Uh, we talk obviously about, you know, who the second team is out of the OAC quite a bit because that's often a team that could be playoff bound. Marietta right now, you know, of course, coming off a pretty good year last year for the, you know, for a pretty good year for that program, especially is the only other unbeaten in the OAC remaining aside from Mount Union. Yeah, Andy Waddle's doing a great job there at Marietta. They were just a couple of plays, really, from being uh, a 9-1 and team last year. Uh, this year, they're off to a good start again. The last month of their season is where all of the Harry stuff happens. That's when they're going to get John Carroll and Baldwin Wallace and Mount Union. So, uh, you know, we're going to find out how real Marietta is, but not until later. I don't have a good drop for Harry stuff. It's probably going to be a metal band. Is that all right? That's fine. All right, for uh, the Liberty League, we, of course, know about Ithaca. We also know in the Liberty League, of course, so far about Hobart. Those are teams that are in the top 25. But Union is sitting here as well at uh, 3-0 and overall headed into conference play. Also in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, uh, you know, Bridgewater is a program that has been, uh, of course, storied long long back but they are 4-0 having beaten southern virginia which was more of a thing than we thought it could be and then we have to talk about the pack as well That's when I fell for leader of the pack. because in the pack of course you have uh, schools such as case and carnegie mellon which are on the verge of the top 25 and maybe voters are just waiting to see you know what happens when they play each other later in the season but then there's also westminster of pa yeah, and I feel like we've talked about Westminster of PA over the last uh, three or four years with Scott Benzel uh, really building that program up into something that is uh, competitive in the pack. They haven't quite got over that hump yet. They're early scheduled. They're 4-0. They've, they've played and uh, you know won pretty easily against Capital, Waynesburg, St. Vincent, and Bethany. Those are teams that any good team should beat. Their schedule gets uh, a lot more real really quickly. They're going to host Case Western Reserve and see if they can really jumble up the pack. That game against Bethany on Saturday night was delayed because of weather and then played in fog. And I would say the, I don't know how good the lights are at Bethany in the first place, but it was uh, definitely an interesting game to try to watch on the live stream. Uh, Wilkes and Kings in the Mac, both unbeaten at 3-0. and So the uh, the pride of Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, could go all the way. It probably won't go all the way to the Mayor's Cup game at the end of the season, but that would be certainly fun if it did. Uh, in the SAA, obviously, Barry is ranked, and we talked a lot about uh, some of the teams that no longer are unbeaten, but uh, don't forget about Hendricks. They are uh, unbeaten as well as uh, conference play. Uh, heats up there in the Mass CAC. You've got Mass Dartmouth and uh, Western Connecticut. These are teams that, of course, will eventually play each other. Uh, St. Scholastica unbeaten. And then in the MIAA, you've got, uh, of course, Trine in the top 25. And as conference play starts, Olivet and Albion are unbeaten as well. Yeah, Albion has, you know, Albion's scoring a ton of points. Kyle Thomas has been a really good quarterback there. Uh, Olivet joins them as undefeated teams, but the two best teams in the MIAA, maybe trying and hope, should be a really interesting four-team race there to see uh, who gets that automatic bid. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. 
it's time for game balls. I'm going to give my game ball to UW-Eau Claire defensive lineman Sam Romanski. I know we've said lots of things about this game already, but the defensive effort by the Blue Golds really deserves the extra shine here. Romanski wasn't the leading tackler, but he definitely led the pressure up front for Eau Claire and made things really difficult for Tommy Dolan, a quarterback, with three quarterback hurries, two and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks. One of the sacks came when St. Thomas had gotten to the Eau Claire 20-yard line midway through the second half, and that series ended up with a missed field goal from 40 yards out. Romanski also sacked Dolan in the final minute of the first half at the Eau Claire 30. He had a hurry on a fourth down play in Eau Claire territory early in the third quarter and a third down sack on the last play of the third, which led to a Tommy's punt. And it feels appropriate from this chair to recognize excellence in the defensive backfield. So my game ball is going to go to Wabash cornerback Patrick Kelly. Kelly intercepted a pair of Drew Dawkins passes in Wabash's 34-20 win over Denison. The first came in the end zone late in the third quarter that prevented Denison from taking a two-possession lead into the fourth quarter. And the second came late in the fourth quarter and ended Denison's last chance to force an overtime. On a day when the Little Giant defense did a whole lot of bending, Kelly's pair of takeaways really helped keep Wabash unbeaten in NCAC play. This is where we talk about teams on the rise in the poll, and mine for this week is Susquehanna. Susquehanna, of course, had its big win against Johns Hopkins earlier on in the season, but they did that back in 2018 as well, and then they lost consecutive games against uh, Muhlenberg and Franklin and Marshall. And obviously they lost to Muhlenberg again this year, uh, but I think a lot of people, and certainly myself, we're waiting maybe just a little bit on Susquehanna to see what the result of the game would be against Franklin and Marshall this year. Well, you know, certainly a much more favorable result if you're a Riverhawks fan when uh, you see them win 42 to 13 instead of 14 to 7. You know, they got a bit of a move up on my ballot and probably on a couple of others as well. In the overall poll, they go from 24 to 22. And I would think that at some point this kind of has to even out a little bit because, you know, now, you know, some of the questions that people may have had against Susquehanna because of previous year's results have to start going by the wayside a little bit, and you have to start really considering more closely that Susquehanna-Johns Hopkins head-to-head result, especially since it took place in Baltimore. Yes, and there aren't a lot of chances for teams to climb this week uh, with only one team in the top 25 losing, but I did have Wheaton jump a couple of teams this week on my ballot. The Thunder have two shutouts in three games. They have an offense that's humming along at over 40 points per game. The Thunder are playing about as well as anybody in the division right now, and they appear to be more than ready to host uh, red-hot Brock Rudder and the North Central Cardinals for the Little Brass Bell and the inside track to a CCIW championship. Hosting red-hot Brock Rudder for the Little Brass Bell. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. My team that will take a fall this week, obviously there are a lot of chances for teams to fall either, but uh, one thing a week like this does do for the voters is it kind of gives people a chance to reevaluate things. So, you know, for you people out there, you know, imagine you're a coach working on your top 25 ballot on a Sunday while you're evaluating game video or you're an SID working on a ballot maybe between soccer games that you're working on a Sunday or a media member working on your ballot while maybe you're also covering NFL an NFL game. All of this is done by 25 unpaid volunteers who are kind of taking time away from something else on their calendar. So when they're in a, in a week when there aren't a lot of notable upsets, you can take an extra few minutes to consider where you've placed some teams on your ballot. And I determined for myself that maybe I'd had Ithaca a couple spots higher than I liked. So I adjusted them down a small amount. They don't move down in the overall balloting, obviously, because a couple of teams ahead of them lost, but they moved down on my ballot. And that's what I'm here to talk about. And then obviously in a week when only one top 25 team loses, that team is going to get talked about in this space. So uh, St. Thomas is falling, uh, maybe gracefully, maybe not. Uh, but while it's pretty obvious that St. Thomas is going to drop uh, pretty far down in the poll, uh, they didn't fall all that far on my ballot because of the way they dominated uh, just about every aspect of their game with Eau Claire. Uh, that result seems more of a blip than, say, last week's Redlands-Linfield upset. And the Tommies are still in position to contend for a Mayak championship. 
Maybe we should take a minute here to talk about the relative position of these two teams in the poll, right? With basically identical records and a head-to-head win. You just talked about the style of that win, and I think that that's a, a, a an important aspect that I think voters can and probably should take into account. Um, also, of course, it's really hard to overlook the fact that uh, Eau, Claire, uh, Eau Claire's other loss is other loss. Eau Claire's loss is to St. Norbert. Um, and that is, you know, that has to have a bearing on where people place them as well. Sure. And St. Norbert has one win against Eau Claire, and then they've lost twice uh, pretty, pretty badly to Aurora. And then Monmouth, who I believe was winless going into that game against St. Norbert this week. So, you know, you, you've reached a point in the year where results aren't going to make lineal sense in the poll, and that's okay. Yeah, for you people out there who are going to look at this and say teams with equivalent records uh, should go, should, the, the team that's ranked head to head should be higher. I can tell you that on all 25 ballots that uh, we received on Sunday, it did not happen that way. So just keep in mind that there's a lot more that uh, people are thinking about. And history happens and history matters, I think, because often, especially I think in Division Three, history repeats itself. So until super proven otherwise, I think people still uh, want to consider the perennial contenders to continue to be contenders until they go basically full rowing on you. You never want to go full rowing. It's time to go off the beaten path, and my off the beaten path highlight takes us to Fulton, Missouri. That is where St. Scholastica scored 21 points in the final 17 minutes to rally from a 20-point deficit and defeat Westminster of Missouri 28-27. After finishing third in the UMAC last year, St. Scholastica is now 4-0, 2-0 in the conference, and on its way to contending for a playoff bid once again under new head coach Mike Heffernan. It was also a big day for linebacker Eric Soderberg, who not only picked off Westminster's quarterback in the end zone, but had a sack and a tackle for loss on consecutive plays after the Blue Jays had first and goal in the fourth. He had a seven-yard tackle for loss on third down to end another Westminster fourth-quarter drive, and then he came on with the game tied with nine seconds left and split the uprights on his first extra point attempt of the season to give the Saints their first and only lead. I'm going to go all the way down to Birmingham, Alabama, where Hendricks defeated Birmingham Southern 34-24. The Warriors overcame an 11-minute time of possession deficit with a hyper-efficient offense that gained 9.7 yards per snap. Hendricks running back Kip Van Hoos had a monster day rushing the ball for 214 yards on just 17 carries. But the bigger highlight for me is the return of quarterback Miles Thompson. Thompson led Division III in total offense in 2017. He missed almost all of 2018 with injury while Hendricks struggled through a 2-8 season. Thompson is healthy again. He accounted for three touchdowns in Saturday's win. Hendricks has their star back. They're off to a 3-0 start. And they may just be the next best challenger to bury in the SAA after Trinity and center have kind of uh, fallen by the wayside a little bit. I want to double back and take this branch down an even less beaten path or a further unbeaten path and talk about the uh, Minnesota Morris, Iowa Wesleyan game. This is a game I checked in on a couple of times on live video because it was the only way I was going to find out the score and I didn't want to miss the final score. But what I missed was like all the action. I had no idea how uh, Morris came back and won 28 to 21, but they did it by scoring the final three touchdowns. One of them, well, here, we'll let the audio tell the story. Yeah, I remember way back at the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about uh, overhearing the other broadcasters or the coaches in the broadcast. That is the sound of the uh, Iowa Wesleyan broadcast stream as Austin McBeth has the ball stripped away by Drew Shipley at the 21-yard line. Shipley picks it up and runs it all the way into the end zone for the touchdown with 2.51 to go 
and uh, Minnesota Morris finishes that comeback to uh, go on and win that game 28 to 21 in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. That was the first win on the season for the Cougars and about as far off the beaten path as you can get in Division Three. played in front of 250 fans at the Maple Leaf Complex. Surprise! The most surprising result comes out of Texas, where Texas Lutheran defeated Southwestern 27 to nothing. The surprise isn't the winner, but it's the score, in which the Bulldogs shut the Pirates out after Southwestern had averaged 48.5 points in their first two games. TLU got it done in large part thanks to six takeaways, including recovering all four of Southwestern's fumbles. Kedrick Ward returned one of them 15 yards for a touchdown. And on offense, Wade Freeman was an efficient 6 of 10 for 91 yards passing and ran for 117 yards and two scores on 19 carries. TLU improves to 2 and 1. My most surprising result is Mount St. Joseph 50, Franklin 27. Uh, like Pat's surprising result, I'm not so surprised that Mount St. Joseph won the game or that Franklin lost this one. But this game was 36 to 6 at one point, and the result leaves Franklin at just 1 and 3 on the season. We've seen Franklin open seasons 0 and 2 or 1 and 2 before, but those slow starts came against non conference schedules that included teams like Mount Union, FCS Butler, and University of Wisconsin Whitewater. This isn't that. The Grizzlies have lost to Benedictine, Albion, and now Mount St. Joseph, and two of those losses have been relatively non-competitive. Uh, we know that Franklin is working through a lot of injuries right now, most notably to quarterback Braden Smith, but even despite that adversity, it seems apparent that Franklin is no longer a clear favorite in a league that they've dominated since 2007. Yeah, that and uh, no longer having Earlham at the bottom of the conference makes the HCAC a little bit more interesting this year, that's for sure. My stat of the week, hot off the printer, involves Kenyon. This is the same team that ended the 26-game losing streak earlier this year in the season opener. The Lords had another streak which was still active, however, and they snapped that on Saturday, winning a home game, defeating Hiram by the score of 15-12. to That home win was the first for Kenyon since September 24th of 2016 against Allegheny, meaning this was Kenyon's first home win in 1,099 days. Now, the Lords have six players who were credited as playing in both of those games, one of them as freshmen and the other as seniors. And those players are wide receiver Andrus Bellatis, uh, offensive lineman Chase Kirill, linebacker Sam Dickey, quarterback Thomas Merkel, defensive lineman Trevor Brown, and offensive lineman Zav Chisholm Hensley. Merkel was the starting quarterback in both of those games and obviously has a much better home record now than he did before. He does, and I've got a bonus Hiram stat, Pat. Get ready. Hiram's last five regular season wins were against winless Earlham and winless Kenyon in 2018 and 2017, and then week 11 in 2016 against winless Oberlin. You've got to go back to 2016, week nine, to find the last Hiram win against a team that also won at least one game in that same regular season. And my regular stat is going to be milestone win number 200 for Wheaton head coach Mike Swider. Swider joins the 200 club one week after Redlands' Mike Maynard and is just the ninth active Division III coach with 200 career wins. Congratulations, Coach Swider. I don't know if Swider feels any differently than Mike Maynard did one week earlier about being recognized for number 200, but here are his postgame comments to Rusty Lindsay of Wheaton Athletics. Well, I choose to look at it this way, Rusty. You're probably going to say that's pretty typical. I don't look at it as my 200th victory. I look at it as the 200th victory for Wheaton football since I've been the head coach. And that's just the way I'd like to see it. Uh, I've been the head coach here now since 1996. And I've been blessed to be around these guys and a lot of coaches and a lot of players. And I've just been the head coach while they won 200 games. I've been here while Wheaton football has won 200 games. And that's the way I like to look at it. And I, I, I do understand the milestone statistically, I understand all that. But really, I've just been the guardian of the program as they've won 200 games. And the program has won it. I haven't won anything. Wheaton football's won 200 games. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Time the podcast where we go to Twitter. We go to Twitter on uh, Sundays when we're looking for questions for this podcast. Uh, we usually send the call out and we get uh, some decent responses back. And here's one of them from a longtime friend of the pod, Chad Hammonds, at, at J. Chad Hammonds, who says, Who benefits most from the St. Thomas loss? Good question. 
Most of the West region, anybody who is an at-large candidate benefits, but who benefits the most is probably going to be the WIAC runner-up. I think we would assume that the WIAC runner-up uh, has one loss to a WIAC champion and beats Wisconsin-Eau Claire. So that team is going to have a common opponent advantage over St. Thomas. And if St. Thomas is also in an at-large pool or if they go on to win the WIAC, they're going to have some seeding advantages over St. Thomas uh, because of that, because of that Eau Claire result. Yeah, that seeding could mean that like if two WIAC teams make the field and St. Thomas then maybe goes on to win the MIAC, that two Wisconsin schools could get first round home games before St. Thomas would. Uh, if you were listening to, oh shoot, pod number, what is it, 240, 242? 242, the one with Coach Cat. He talked very specifically about how uh, a result, even in the early part of the season, could have these kind of ramifications down the line. I definitely suggest you go back and listen to this pod to that podcast. Greg, I know you have listened to that podcast, so I don't want to put you through that again. No, I think any time that you get uh, the chairman of the committee on, all of the fans who are interested in playoff selection and the tournament in general should listen. Catanzaro uh, is fantastic. It's got a bonus question here from Chris Fanick, uh, who says or asks, how many losses is too many to make the playoffs as an at-large this year? Two, three. Three is always too many. Uh, Division three losses as an at-large. Two is almost always too many. Uh, if you've got if you're a team sitting with two losses right now, you have to go out and win your conference. Yeah, two two losses is probably too many to count on it. There's only five at-large bids when we get to selection Sunday. And unless a lot of really crazy things happen between now and then, two losses is probably too many. Um, three losses, historically, is always too many. Another bonus question here. How, how hard would it be to get one provider for all streams of games so that we only have to go to one place to view them all? Uh, well, of course, you can always just go to the d3football.com scoreboard to view them all. After this week... Um, I don't know what that provider would be. There's no perfect provider that can handle all of this stuff, very obviously. So as cool as that would be, and it has been suggested many times by people who have video, uh, who have video platforms to talk about, uh, including to me as recently as like three weeks ago. I just don't know how feasible it is. And I don't think we could ever get 247 schools to agree on anything. No, and I think having, I mean, I I think having multiple platforms is good. You have multiple platforms competing for business, competing for eyeballs. That spurs innovation and, you know, the desire to keep your product working well and better than the competitors. So if we have a handful of uh, platforms, that's fine with me. Uh, every school is going to pick the one that works best for them. Yeah, and it has to work for them, of course, across a variety of sports, too. It can't just be a decision that makes sense for football. And we got one more question that uh, I think we'll take here. And uh, the question comes from Fly on Wall, which is at Fly on Wall 15, who asks, will Curry begin to win now that conference play has begun in the Commonwealth Coast Conference? And I'm just kind of looking to refresh my memory. Uh, Curry has lost to Stevenson, 34 to nothing. They lost to Franklin Pierce, which is, is in its first year as a D2 varsity program, 29-27. Uh, Franklin Pierce had gotten its doors blown off earlier by Wesley. And then they lost 17-7 to this past weekend to Coast Guard. They have uh, University of New England up next. They have Husson, Endicott, Western New England, Becker, Nichols, and Salve Regina. Um, it's hard to know for me right now how good Curry is right now. Um, I know I just said right now there twice. Uh, University of New England is playing really well, especially for its second year. Uh, it's a program that uh, is, uh, you know, it has two wins and only lost to Western New England by two touchdowns. I look down this schedule and I could see a couple of wins, but I'm not sure that uh, start to win necessarily is going to be the, uh, the the right term to use here. Yeah, normally you would normally you would really key in on University of New England as a, as a fairly new program just getting off the deck here. But UNE has been really good. Probably no sure thing that Curry's going to win that game. Um, but you know, it's conference play. Familiarity sort of levels the playing field a little bit in some of these cases. And I don't know that I would I don't know that I would pick Curry to not win one of these games the rest of the season. Yeah, I would think it. I 
uh, feel it'd be highly surprising if Curry did not win any of those conference games. Last year, of course, Curry started off 2-1, and one, but uh, they had their wins against Dean and Anna Maria. So they definitely stepped up their non-conference schedule this year, and uh, it's understandable that perhaps they didn't win as many of those games. So remember, keep an eye out for the stuff on the Twitter from at D3Football on Sunday. Get your chance to uh, get these questions in here and always, always, always use the D3FB hashtag. Last word from me before we go is just to kind of remind people of uh, the fact that we do feature stories on the website during the week. We have a couple of uh, people who have done feature stories for us for quite some time. Brian Lester and Joe Sager have done a great job. So we want to keep them with some great story ideas as much as possible. And in the preseason, we got like a good half dozen ideas from schools that we kind of took and ran with here over the first few weeks. So if you have an interesting uh, feature story idea going on at your school or that you know about, you know, drop me a line via email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. I would say, too, things that are of interest to us are not necessarily, hey, you know, XYZ person is going to be our uh, all-time leading rusher here with another 157 yards. In my opinion, that is that's a great uh, local story for for you guys. That there's 247 all-time leading rushers. We're looking for you know kind of that next step up. What's uh, and what's the human interest story, especially at this time of year. So we are definitely in uh, you know looking out for that uh, type of information. So if you have story ideas. Send them my way because we're definitely looking. Or if you're a fan and know of something going on, you can hit us up on Twitter as well. Or if you're a coach or an SID, you could DM us on Twitter uh, if you want to do it that way. Plenty of ways to get in touch with us because we want to tell as many Division Three stories as possible. And my last word is going to just be a reminder to check out all of that extra content that Pat alluded to. Uh, Quick hits on Friday, certainly. Always a fun time. But this week especially, Adam Turr around the nation, uh, look for his column midweek. He's going to be re-ranking the conferences. It's always one of the uh, more popular pieces throughout the year. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. The WIAC Wisconsin. Big school. Is going to be number one. You'll have to click the column and read to see the rest of the conferences. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 246, season 13, episode 8, released on September 30th of 2019. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, this is how you make this podcast better. You rate it in Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating is certainly appropriate. I think we definitely like those. Or like in Stitcher, iHeartRadio is relatively new for us. Spotify, Google Podcasts, basically any podcast platform that has reviews please give us a review because that will help other football fans find us. You can lead, uh, leave comments for us on the blog page about this specific episode as well. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football and Greg is at Wally Wabash. Keith, you remember Keith McMillan. He's on this show a lot. He's at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Frank Rossi. Our theme music and a lot of the other music beds throughout this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guest host, Greg Thomas, and of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my regular co-host, Keith McMillan. My goal is to be like top three guest host. That's good. I think if I go down the list, we've had three guest hosts, so you should be good. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, you know, you should think of it this way, Greg. Uh, We invited you back, so. (laughs) That's true. I have, this is, this is uh, guest host number two for me, so. No, I was I was ready. I was warming up a couple of weeks ago, but uh, but Keith Keith made it in. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.